Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Isabel Geese. She's the CEO of North America and global CMO for Brevo. We talk much more about what Brevo is and how they're changing the dynamics of their offering mix as well. But previous to Brevo, she played a pivotal role in leading Salesforce's $5 billion sales cloud product marketing organization that that grew $1 billion under her tenure. She was most recently at Commvault as their CMO and transformed them from a traditional perpetual software marketing into a best-in-class agile SaaS-based marketing organization. Before that, she was Chief Marketing Strategy Officer at Ignite, where she successfully launched a new content protection solution and expanding their total addressable market by a factor of 10x. She's got a master's degree in electrical engineering and an MBA from Harvard. And today she also shares her expertise in marketing and business strategy as an adjunct professor teaching graduate students at Santa Clara University. On the show today, we talk about this dual role of global CMO and CEO of the U.S. market at Brevo. We talk a little bit about what Brevo does and also talk about the adaptation that they're having to do in their marketing as they move towards serving an enterprise set of clients as well as their smaller businesses that they serve historically. So that and much more on today's conversation with Isabel Geese. 
Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alan. I am excited to this conversation. And for those that are listening, we actually, we go way back. We do. <laughs> there was like a connection at a, a potential internship related to Dell way, way long. I won't say how long ago because I protect us Thank you. from uh, <laughs> from from our age, uh, identifying our age. But it's nice to talk to you again. And one of the things I've learned since then is that you are both into ballet dancing and being a pilot. I have no idea how those two things go together, <laughs> but I would love to know from you, what, how, how did that happen? Sure, sure. Well, first, it's lovely to be with you again. And yes, I didn't tell you all about me so many years ago, but I am into ballet and into flying planes. And I know it sounds very different, but actually they have a lot in common. I feel that both of them thrive for perfection. You cannot imagine how many emergency landing a pilot has to rehearse every time on a regular basis. So the day it happens, hopefully never, you can do, uh, you can have your emergency ready and also just struggling for perfection to have the perfect landing, you know, the, mm. the feeling you have. But to get there, it's all about checklist and doing over and over the same maneuver. And, you know, ballet is a lot the same. It's trying to thrive for perfection and rehearsing almost every day and training every day. And the reason why I love both is because for me, it's really a place, it's almost meditative. Mm. I cannot do my email in my head. I cannot think about any other thing. It's, but you have to look at the air around you. You have to look at all the gauges on the plane and in the cockpit. And for ballet, you have to listen to the music, remember the choreography, control every muscle in your body. And when you do that, you are fully into the moment. And that's a wonderful break from anything that happens in your day or in your week. Uh, you're just there and it's just for you. I love the the comparison. I had not thought about either of those in the same way, but you're right. It is about perfection. I, I hope that all my pilots that I get on my commercial aircraft have perfected their emergency procedures as well. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Yes. But uh, obviously you also have an accent. So you tell listeners where where you grew up and where you where you uh, where the accent is from. I do. No, I'm kidding. Yes, <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm originally French and I'm very embarrassed to say that I moved in Silicon Valley in 2001. So you may, you may wonder why do I still have my accent 22 years later? Well, <laughs> because I blame it on my husband. I marry a French gentleman and we speak French at home. And so that's my excuse. But, uh, but no, I was originally <laughs> born and raised in France. I, I was trained as an engineer, starting as an R&D engineer in what would be called today AI, but it was at the time speech recognition. Mm. Worked a few years in Paris and moved in 2001 in the Bay Area and I've been here since. I love that. I love that. Well, from early career, uh, moving to Silicon Valley, how, what's been your you know, stepping stones, if you will, to where you are now? You're you have kind of a dual role. You're both the global CMO and the U.S. CEO at Brevo. Yeah, well, it's been um, well, it's been an adventure. So I arrived here. Obviously, my role and my strengths as a marketer. So I had already transitioned to marketing. 
but I had a very strong uh, engineering background. So I was really working on new technology and innovation. I'm going to sound terribly old, but, you know, 3G at the time and doing data on the cell phones mm-hmm. was novel. Uh, Wi-Fi didn't come built in computers. It was novel. So these are all the technologies I helped my company introduce in the U.S. And then I expanded and we went back to get an MBA in the U.S. with my husband because we really loved it here and we wanted to understand the American standard, the working style, the way people do business here. Mm. And that really helped me, my competitive then differentiator, I will say, was really to understand both how the European market was working, how the North American market was working, how technology that's complex could be explained in very simple terms to many customers. And this is how, you know, I ended up doing the job I have today. Right. Well, and Revo, I believe is a French company. And I think it's your first French company that you've worked for. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a funny fact, you know, that's my first time working for a French company. When I was in Paris, I was working for a Canadian company. Mm. And obviously, since I've been in the US, I've only worked for North American companies. So it's my first time, but I'm, I'm very excited because, you know, I've always used, actually I've developed my American size, side of my brain, right? <laughs> and for the first time, I can start using also the French one, but not just as an extension to expand globally, really as an equal weight. And I can really bridge both cultures. And that's very exciting. I love that. I love that. Now, I have a tricky question for you. I can't remember the author that wrote the saying of you can never go home again, but I'm curious if the French, your French colleagues see you as French or do they see you as Americanized French? Uh-huh. <laughs> this, is, this is a tough question, Alan. Um, that's, you know, that's my, that's the challenge of my life that you're describing. Is <laughs> <laughs> my French colleague called me the American and my American's colleague called me the French. <laughs> so, so I guess, you know, I'm, I'm both and I'm very proud of both, but uh, at the same time, I acknowledge and recognize I'm different than I'm different than my colleagues on both sides of the pond. And I think that's why they appreciate me and that's why I bring a lot to the table. But it's also, you know, sometimes in different companies hard to belong somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And well, you are a bridge, if you will, to both sides. Exactly. So and that's a very important, very important component to be. Well, tell me a little bit about Brevo, the company and and the backstory, if you will. Oh, it's a fascinating story. When they told the story, uh, I was already half body in. I'm like, yes, I want to join. <laughs> but it is, it is. It's exactly, you know, very close to my heart because I'm, um, I'm Eurasian, I'm French, I'm American. I've got Indian, Vietnamese root. So it's a very complex, uh, culturally confusing, but at the same time, you know, my world. And, uh, and Brevo is a little bit like that. It was built in India, mm-hmm. launched in Europe which actually was a blessing because Europe has many languages, many regulations. And so the product had to support this from day one. And they grew significantly in France. They made an acquisition of the market leader and grew in Germany and then got into Europe. Also at the very early stage, they were servicing very small businesses. And, you know, these are people that you and I see every day and that actually we don't think about them as customer, but they are and they are marketing. Think about your butcher, your yoga teacher, mm. think about the city hall or the church. And then, you know, as, as they were servicing them, it was all about ease of use um, for non-marketer. And then they made a lot of acquisition, did a lot of development in R&D. 
and became very sophisticated. Now you can do campaigns on plenty of different channels, but they had to keep the simplicity of the UX and UI. Mm. While, you know, now they have customers like Louis Vuitton, Michelin, Decathlon. So it's a really nice story of, you know, social impact, cultural, multicultural company, as well as, you know, growing up and, and becoming um, a success story up to a centaur. Uh, Bravo reached their centaur status with 100 million of ARR in January this year. Mm. Wow, that's, that's quite quite the run rate. I mean, yeah. and, and, and can kudos on the success of getting Thank there. You. Well, I mean, you talk about the simplicity and and the types of customers that you started serving, and now, I mean, you you have a full suite, if you will, serving both enterprise and large customers. I I know we may talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but um, I mean, how that's a lot. To, that's a lot of complexity on the product side. <laughs> so you must have a phenomenal engineering group. What am I? We do. We do. And, and we, well, we, we made several acquisitions. We have very talented people, but they were all very well integrated and we grew. But, you know, the beauty is our DNA is still the same. Mm. The care of making things simpler. And, you know, even sophisticated marketing teams don't have the time to learn, to spend too much time configuring things and to learn too many new features. So we do yeah. things in a very intuitive way. We don't show more than we should show unless they want to get more sophisticated and click on the double click, right? So all of this has always been the characteristic of any integration. And even if now we support campaigns on email, SMS, WhatsApp, chat, you know, web push, we even have a mobile loyalty card on your phone, on your wallet. We still very easy and simple first because we have 500,000 customers. And, you know, a lot of them are coming from the very small SMBs that we were servicing. So we have to stay true to them. But second, because even big companies don't want to invest weeks in training people just to use one tool. Right, right, right. No, that's crazy. I mean, and 500,000 customers, that's huge. <laughs> it is, it is. Not all of them are paying. We have a freemium offer, but yes. it is, it is yeah. significant. Yeah, that's, that's a phenomenal. Well, I want to talk about your role because you have this dual role of global CMO, and then you're also the CEO for the US, which is very unique. I haven't heard that a lot. What should we know about how this dual role came about? And frankly, how does it work? Yeah. So, I mean, it's an exciting role for me because I've always been very involved in the business. And I truly believe that with the event of SaaS, you're going to see more people like me, Alan, I hope, mm. because marketing in SaaS is the biggest engine to drive revenue. And uh, Bravo is exactly, that's exactly how we grew to become a centaur. Marketing has been the biggest new revenue driver at Bravo, where you just found us thanks to a great SEO or pay-per-click performance are really good. You find us online and then, you know, you do the trial, you love the trial and then you buy. Right. And, and that's how we reach and that's how the company grew to be profitable actually, because it's also a very efficient way to do that. Now, obviously, as we're starting growing, we need, you know, most advanced customer and they want to talk to a sales team. And so we introduced our sales team two, three years ago. But before that, and Bravo was built 11 years ago, everything was just driven through marketing. And we reached 20% of our new revenue in North America with no sales team at all. Just, you know, online thanks to marketing. So I guess that's why the role of the CMO and the role of the CEO for this region is so intertwined and really makes sense is because even if we're going to 
develop more complex, obviously, uh, go-to-market motions as we go up market and as we address the North American market needs. It is still heavy on the marketing engine uh, for that region and for pretty much every SaaS company. Yeah. Well, and as you talk about the company, I mean, going from the core being kind of small, medium or small businesses, moving towards enterprise and building the capabilities to do that as well. Um, I mean, it seems in line that this, these two roles, the global CMO and then the focus on you know, a U.S. market and expanding your presence here in the enterprise space, seems that those two roles complement, frankly, in a long, a long ways. I'm curious, how, how do you think about them intersecting and how does it benefit the U.S. market versus the global market, if that makes sense? Sure, no, it makes total sense. So, well, as you mentioned it, we have uh, many axes of growth, but two of them, one is, of course, uh, developing more enterprise marketing, moving from, you know, a single touch, finding us online to a multi-touch and talking with um, sales team. But the other is also expanding geographically into the U.S. And I think as a CMO, both requires different motion. You do not market to a large company the same way you will just do this online. And so as we move up market, uh, from a marketing perspective, this has to change. And in the U.S., it just happened that a lot of companies are bigger in the U.S. So even what would have been, let's say, an SMB in Europe would be a mid-market here and will require probably also those um, market motion and marketing motions. So it's, it's really why, you know, they intersect and complement each other. And this, of course, coupled with the fact that I've lived here for 22 years, in spite of my accent, uh, and, and I do have a lot of background uh, of doing marketing here and understanding uh, what actually is resonating with this market more, what are the, the frictionless and smoother paths uh, for customers to purchase a software solution they need. Got it, got it. I mean, I think what you describe in terms of like the the different selling motions or you know market motions that you need to build to address the enterprise market makes a lot of sense. And I'm I'm curious. I mean that that's transformation and change. And I'm curious, like how what were the either elements or the components that you felt like you had to put in place or you're putting in place to address that. Yes. No. So, I mean, I don't want to scare my team, uh, but I would say it's not a self-transformation, but it's definitely adaptation. Okay. Uh, you know, they've been doing a wonderful work on everything that is self-service. And this, mm-hmm. you know, is still being optimized. It's still performing extremely well and is still pretty much used all around the world. So mm-hmm. it's not limited by any geo and it's still a significant revenue growth. Now, we need to adapt that. Uh, in Europe, even if we've been there for a long time, we are rebranding because in Europe, we've been around for a longer time as Sending Blue, and we had to rebrand uh, until May this year under the name Brevo. And why that is because we're extremely known as email marketing, but email marketing is something that we did on day one. And since, as you we discussed a little bit earlier, yeah. we're doing now automation, marketing campaigns about uh, over many channels. And so, and we are expanding as we announced at uh, Saster in September to be a full CRM suite. So not only do we have a marketing platform that's quite advanced, we also have now a sales platform to manage your pipeline and to invoice customers. So we, we went a long way from email marketing. And so this rebranding is also 
a way to adapt to the change that our portfolio has, but make it known as a rebranding in Europe. Mm. In North America, yeah. Mm. In North America, the story is a bit uh, simpler. Our customer found us mainly online, understanding blue, but I will still say, you know, we still have a lot of brand awareness to gain here. And so just promoting the brand Bravo is not a problem. We don't have to do any rebranding per se, because this is not like, you know, we had a long heritage in mm. North America. But, you know, you're right. The B2B marketing motion to get to a bigger account and higher customer, bigger customer is different. It's not mm. just, you know, based on customer acquisition costs. It's more, you know, monitoring the return on investment, having different solutions and seeing that bigger company may find interesting. They do more research multi-touch, they go to different events and venue to find information. The velocity is different. The volume is different. And so obviously that requires some um, expansion of the current marketing motion we have. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I mean, it's it's something I hear from B2B marketers that focus on the enterprise in particular is it's hard to, it's sometimes hard to measure, right? Because of the various touches that you actually have to employ to complete a sale. <laughs> exactly. That's why I don't call it CAC or customer acquisition because it won't be exact. But uh, I talk more about return on investment and I look at the program money invested in different theme or solution mm-hmm. and uh, the amount of revenue it generates. So that's, that's a slightly different way to look at it. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, where are you focused right now, enabling, I'll use your word, this adaptation <laughs> to help drive the growth that the, the business is looking to see? So we are, we've been busy because we, we have uh, so many ways to grow and actually we want to leverage them all. First of all, of course, we have our portfolio growth. So as I mentioned, we used to really help only marketing teams and now we're also helping sales team. And so that makes two very different types of content, different type of platform, even within the same customer or the same company. So that's the portfolio expansion that we are supporting. The second big focus is, I say, entering new market segment like bigger customer, and that requires to have team marketing, more product marketing content um, because they want more sophisticated solution. They want to understand how they can integrate probably with a bigger IT environment. And finally, of course, we're entering into new geos like uh, North America. And it's also a different type of content. You know, I'm making fun with my team, but I'm like, <laughs> we have to Americanize this. Uh, <laughs> French are very poetic. They like abstract ideas. 
And I'm like, I'm very pragmatic. We have like uh, our customers are super busy. They are very much more comfortable online. It's a big country to cover with different time zones. Like it's just a different approach. And, and that has to translate into the content, into what we talk about, how we talk about it. And also having more local teams, understanding this market and being in touch with our customers. Mm, I love that. As I hear you talking about like what you have to do to Americanize it, I'm worried that maybe I'm supposed to be living in France because <laughs> they're probably more poetic or more attracted to the poetic than the pragmatic. But I know I'm an anomaly. I'm not everyone. And I'm definitely not a business buyer. So, oh, Alan, we're all anomalies. Uh, you know, I was born in France and I ended up here and I'm like, oh, I was meant to be American. So, you know, maybe you, you have the same epiphany. You should go and move to Paris. Who knows? I know. I know. Well, yeah, maybe I, I did really enjoy. I mean, I've been to Paris a number of times, but I did really enjoy Lyon as a place to potentially live in the future. So Ooh, that's my uh, husband's native town. So uh, oh, yeah. used to hear that. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's uh, such great food. I mean, not that not that Paris doesn't have great food, but just it, it felt like it was everywhere in <laughs> Lyon. So. But anyway, I digress. I digress. I, 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 maybe I need to become French. <laughs> we welcome you. We welcome you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, uh, I mean, your business is, it seems to be just like firing on all cylinders. That's a very American thing to say. You've got expansion in, in the product portfolio itself. You've, you're expanding uh, geographies. You're, you know, you've got kind of a dual model now in terms of market motions to serve kind of smaller customers and then your enterprise customers. Any like advice to other CMOs or, or, or market leaders that you've learned walking in and, and taking the reins here in, in the role that you have? Oh, I don't know if it's just for CMOs. I say maybe these are more <laughs> in general. Yeah. People like me or let's say maybe a younger self or, or something, but you know, it's... Um, one thing I really think has been a great benefit for me is I've always been very curious and always wanted to keep learning. And that's what, of course, took me to a new country, took me to start um, new studies in this country, to, to go beyond engineering, move to product management, move to marketing, to move from an IT buyer to a marketing buyer to a sales buyer. And for me, I found this interesting because I had to learn something new and I had to get better and better. And what I've learned now that I look back, it really builds resiliency. And that, you know, I'm less, anything new can happen, any new technology, new market change. I've done changes so much in my life just because I was pushing myself that I found I'm more adaptable and I've built resiliency. And I think for a CMO, honestly, all CMOs out there, if there is one thing marketing is, it's, it's a living and breathing discipline. Marketing has reinvented itself and is about to do it again with AI. But reinventing instead of the marketing stack is changing all the time. We keep adding new apps, more complexities. The customer are getting more sophisticated. So that's one thing. Keep learning, build resiliency, stay open and adaptable. And the second thing I would advise is don't be afraid to take risk. Obviously, I say this on so many levels, not just for marketing, but being Eurasian, being French and American, being a woman in high tech, like it's not like we have a lot of role model that have my accent, that, you know, have my background and are doing marketing in high tech. But if I was waiting for this role model, I would not have tried. 
many things. Right. And I would not have tried to move from engineering to marketing and to move to a new country where I'm going to have a funny accent and all these types <laughs> of things, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's rewarded. People appreciate you. If you take risks, you know, you always find someone who actually, um, and if you work hard, obviously, find someone that will uh, support you and it will shape your life and shape your career in a way that you want versus yeah. letting others shape it for you. So I know it's scary, but in insight, you know, many years later, if I had known that earlier, you know, I would just see this as one obstacle and think about this one at a time instead of maybe being overwhelmed sometimes by um, the complexity and the novelty of things. But on the long term, it's really made me a better person, build my resilience, build my career and, and build it the way I want it to be. So keep learning take risk and uh, all is going to be fine. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Great advice. Great advice. Well, one of my favorite questions to ask everyone that comes on the show is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Oh, wow. There means so many experiences and people. And you know, <laughs> obviously immigrating to the U.S. Has been, has been hard because we arrive at the downturn when the internet bubble mm. burst in 2001, yeah. but it's been very rewarding. I love this country. I love this market. I love the culture. I just like you feel, you know, uh, you have a <laughs> Parisian side of you uh, or maybe a goodness yeah. part of you. I do feel I was meant to be here somehow. This is where, you know, I blossom and I feel very comfortable working and love every day of it. So immigrating to this country has been a def def definitely a defining moment. Switching from engineering marketing but you know i would say starting in engineering and starting coding coding is mm -hmm. something that i will do over again if i had to even if it means sacrificing a few years of my career not doing yeah. marketing it gave me a better understanding and credibility and just passion for technology in general mm -hmm. and the desire to stay up to date in in and marketing became so technology driven which 22 years ago it was not so that was a defining thing for me to have this engineering background. And finally, you know, just because I, I told you taking risk and we always talk about the success, but there are plenty of risks I took were huge failure <laughs> where I was <laughs> doubting myself too. It was not easy every day, but then you built a lot of empathy. And, and that's why I think I decided to stay in marketing after trying so many functions and roles is mm. because what is marketing, but trying to find customer who have a problem you know you can solve mm. and having empathy for them and putting them at the center of everything and I think that's the only way to be a good marketer and so having all those challenges doing those changes and everything built a lot of empathy and was defining for me in trying to transmit this into my work and into my career with mm. customers. Love it. As you think about, you know, you, you mentioned continuing to stay curious and learn. Is there a topic you think marketers need to be learning more about or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself? Uh, of course, of course. There is one topic that everybody's talking about <laughs> it, Alan. <laughs> yes, AI. <laughs> yeah, yes. yes, absolutely. So on my, uh, on my side job, I have, uh, I'm also um, an adjunct professor at Santa Clara University and I I have the pleasure to teach the next generation of marketers, mm. uh, brilliant students who are either doing an MBA or a master in marketing. 
And I am in the middle of uh, redoing my class and the content because I have to talk about AI. Every marketer out there, if they have not started looking into it, they should. It's just changing the way everybody's thinking about it and the way your customer are going to ask. So you better be ready. But it's also changing marketing. Marketing, as I said, reinvented itself. Every three to four years for the last, you know, two decades. The marketing tech stack, I think, was the last time we counted it in 2020 was 8,000 applications. Right. <laughs> so why? Well, because the customers, the segmentation, the, the expectation for high personalization, micro segmentation keep getting bigger. And there is no human way to handle that except automatization, application. And now AI can make this even faster and in, even more granular. Hmm. And so, so obviously, you know, AI, I think, has three big uh, impact on marketing, the, the micro segmentation and the ability to see patterns, to group customer around the same problem or the same interest. Um, the second is oh, the biggest type of all, generative AI, but also the ability to create content that's highly personalized. Hmm. And content has always been the hardest thing for marketers to do to scale. So that's why everybody is so excited about it. And the last one is obviously the customer journey. You know, we always have this pipeline, but everybody knows the customer does not follow the pipeline. Right. <laughs> they go right, they go left, suddenly they wait two months, then they come back. And, you know, having the ability to have AI monitor those patterns and define what is the most probable next step, next channel, next touch point they're going to use is going to be extremely powerful. Love it. And it's going to be really fascinating to watch. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many like just fun tools to test it out, test out various components of, in particular, generative AI, I think is where everyone's dabbling and playing with things now. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Because to your point, like I think from a math standpoint, like segmentation can be accelerated. That is, I think, in some ways more understandable. Mm-hmm. But the content side of the equation is is fascinating. It's always been the bottleneck right now. Yeah, exactly. 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 So, and it seems like it's moving fast towards not being a bottleneck anymore. Yes, so. but we, we, I will give it a little bit more time because it's based on data. True. And right now we have a lot of data that's not been used, but when everybody's going to start using the same data, how do you differentiate your content? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's come up before on the show because I, I, you know, I guess there, there's a concern that there'll be a regression to the mean, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how we use it as an aid in our processes and accelerating and removing these bottlenecks that have been there for feels like ever. Yes, <laughs> literally ever. Yes, <laughs> we yes. can do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, um, I, just curious if we step back from you and, and from the job and technology overall, like, are there any trends or subcultures that you're following or you think others should be taking notice of? There are, there are a couple. The most important one, I mean, very sadly, like we've seen a lot of natural disasters happening. Mm-hmm. And I do believe the new generation also of students, of uh, workers and colleagues that um, I see are really and maybe it's also uh, post-pandemic, but everybody's reconnecting with nature a lot more mm-hmm. as a candid interest and care for the next generation and for the planet. And, and I think that it's always been 
important, but there is more sense of urgency today. I may be also slightly biased because I work for a French company now and I know, you know, uh, this has always been very important, more important, I would say, in Europe in terms of being green and being respectful of the environment and not using, you know, different source of energies. But um, I, I do think that it is, it is a renewed interest uh, in our customer as well, not just our employees, but in our partners, the way we select vendors the way our customers are selecting us is changing and there is more discussion around sustainability. It used to be more about uh, social, you know, in ESG, it was more about the S and the G than the E. Yes. And that environment is definitely one topic and one consideration and I think it's here to stay. So that's one trend I see. And obviously, I cannot not talk about Barbie. This is the second trend. <laughs> but, but it's totally disconnected from, from the environment. But, but I will say, you know, everybody's talking about the message, the movie, mm-hmm. the standing, and, uh, which is true and great. But for me, just as a marketer, I just, I just think this is brilliant marketing. Regardless of the message, just the way you know, they are using funny, witty ways of using stereotypes and mm. but to change people's perspective. And that's, I found this beautiful because stereotypes is things what people understand. And actually, you can really talk to the masses and you can really be a change agent at scale if you use that. But if you use it in a funny, witty way, this is when you change their perspective, right? But it can be understood by all. And, and I really found the way they approach it just from a message perspective, just the how they did it is brilliant. Now, the what they say, everybody can debate, but obviously I think it's, it's, it's very great, you know, eye-opener open, for um, many people who watch the movie, but just the way they've just managed to communicate big ideas into a ludic but very approachable way is something that I really find fascinating. No, I love the, I love the both of those examples, and the, you cannot avoid Barbie right yeah. now. Barbie <laughs> so. and AI is a new uh, is a new way. Yes, exactly. And this notion of one, just like entertainment and attaching yourself, like your brand, to entertainment. And this is entertainment has a, a message. I haven't seen the movie yet, so don't spoil it for me. Mm-hmm. But I've heard it's really good. Um, my daughter wants to, I think potentially go see it this weekend. Of course um, you should. Yeah. But um, I was just watching, my wife and I like watching this video series, I guess, called and show called Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. But I saw a great example from State Farm. And I'm uh, assuming it was a paid placement because the show opens, I think it's on Hulu. So it's a streaming service. Show opens and there's like a, a quick message that says, this episode's been in part sponsored by State Farm. And that's it. And then you get into the story and they're talking about trying to fund this play or, or show that the main, one of the main characters is trying to, to figure out financing for. And his production assistant keeps saying, well, I have this great friend at State Farm. We should call him. He's really high up in the company. He's doing really well. He could probably make our fu- funding decisions go away. <laughs> and it, it's just worked in eloquently into the storyline um and it comes up over and over again in in that episode i'm I'm curious if it goes beyond that one second episode but i was just it was comical because a lot of times that stuff feels forced and this one was just like perfectly done i was pretty impressed so. exactly it's part of the script it's part of the story it's done in a funny way yes everybody can understand that yeah uh, and it's not marketing 
It's yeah. not about selling selling their products. It's just really about talking about their brand, and that's that's what I think it's it's the new way of marketing. I know. I love it. I love it. I mean, and it's so hard sometimes. I think we we see great examples that are product companies, and this was the first one because State Farm they're just selling services. And it's not tangible. Like, how do you make that work? And I thought this was really eloquently done. So uh, anyway, I digress. Last question for you. I'm curious to get your your thoughts on what you think the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers is today. Uh, well, we talked about the largest opportunity earlier. I think it's AI. <laughs> <laughs> but now I can talk about the largest threat. A threat, I, I think it's AI. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I really do. I really think that, you know, AI can be fantastic if used the right way, but it's so novel. And as I mentioned, you need to have such a differentiated data if you want the output to be differentiated as well. Or if not, you're going to use tons of database and computing resources and it's going to be very expensive. So, so that's one thing. How to leverage AI in a differentiated way, in a cost-efficient way is going to be very interesting for marketers. And I think it could be the next differentiation for them mm. in terms of skill set. And then also, if you don't use it the right way and you trust it too much for all the mm. prediction patterns that I was mentioning, like the customer journey, what's yeah. the, what are the interests in next? And it can totally skew this. And by this, you know, if there is any rapid market change, Let's say if suddenly an industry is having troubles or difficulties, but the algorithm doesn't have enough data to anticipate that. So that's why you always need to have rules, to have marketers. Yeah. So there is a logic, there is a strategy. AI is a tool, but it's not the answer. Right. And right. I think that's going to be what I will recommend people to watch out for. Yeah. I like how you describe that. I haven't thought about like rapid market change or or something anomaly happening in the market. It's almost like you need a circuit breaker. You can go over and flip the switch, turn everything off for a moment until we figure out how to respond and how to how to work how to work within this new new reality. Exactly. Always double check because logic and strategy always wins. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Isabel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been fascinating to talk to you and just generally catch up. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. And it was a long time overdue getting together. So thank you so much, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today. And you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.